The scripture reading for today is out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked, Which commandment is first of all? Jesus answered, This is the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any questions. The word of God for the people of God. I've heard it said that if you hear something three different times from three different sources, it's probably a good idea to listen up. It's usually the Holy Spirit trying to tell you something. As with many things in the Bible, this works over and over again, and today's passage holds its truth. I believe I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. And just in case I haven't, at least I've covered my bases. Although there are four Gospels in the Bible, the first three are what are considered the synoptic Gospels. What that basically means is that the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are like biographies of Jesus. They tell an account of his birth, ministry, death, and resurrection, mostly in agreed chronology. Although not all three contain the exact same stories, They are mostly a point A to point B telling of the life of Jesus. The Gospel of John also tells the stories of Jesus, but is written with more phrases of symbolism, referring more often to Jesus as the Lamb of God and to the eating of flesh and drinking of blood and things like that. So what we have today is a story that is found in the Synoptic Gospels, all generally toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. As you may recall, Mark is the oldest of the Gospels, written in the late, third, excuse me, the late 50s or early 60s. The other Gospels of Matthew and Luke used Mark as a guide when they, came to, when they went to write their own Gospels. By the time those two were written, some other writings had been found regarding the life of Jesus with other stories coming to light. So the authors of Matthew and Luke used Mark as a resource, and a resource that scholars have named Q. It is is named such because there is no clear knowledge of who wrote it, or where exactly it came from. With Mark and Q, the other gospel writers were able to come up and fill the blanks left as Mark, in his haste, wrote his gospel. The story for today is in all three Gospels and differs only somewhat in how they are played out. 
Matthew names the scribe as a member of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that had been testing Jesus, thus creating a somewhat negative connotation of the person who asked the question of Christ. Matthew also leaves out the end where the scribe agrees with Jesus. In Luke, the story is worded a little differently as the scribe is not asked, does not ask what the greatest commandment is, but what he must do to receive eternal life. Jesus' answer is the same, and Luke also leaves out the part where the scribe agrees with Christ. In Mark's gospel, the scribe is given room to respond to Jesus. And as he does, it becomes clear that he agrees with Jesus' analysis of the law and what the greatest commandment is. The scribe represents the number of Jewish people and leaders that agreed with Jesus. Jesus was not completely surrounded by groups of naysayers, like sometimes we think. There were people that were starting to understand what he was saying. So often, it is assumed that because someone was a Pharisee or a Sadducee, they automatically disagreed with what Jesus was teaching. This scribe wanted to let Jesus know that not only was he in agreement, but that he was not the only one. The scribe's response to Jesus let him know how some people were understanding his ministry. Love of neighbor provided Jesus' theological understanding that love for the other explains and shows most clearly one's love for God. And the scribe agreed. Jesus, as a teacher, a rabbi, read and followed the laws of what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scripture. He did not stand before groups of people to destroy these holy texts, but to inform the people that he was there to to fulfill them. Through his teaching, Jesus did not abdicate the ceasing of sacrifice or offering, as in the first century of Judaism, that would have been unheard of. What Jesus was explaining to the people throughout his ministry is that the sacrifice of animals and burnt offerings was not enough to enter the kingdom of God. They would need more. For the scribe that agreed with Jesus, what could possibly be standing between him and the kingdom of God? Jesus had said that he was not far from the kingdom, and the truth of the matter is the only thing standing between that scribe and the kingdom of God at that time was the passion of Jesus Christ himself. By the time the story comes to an earthly and human end, Jesus would have bought and paid for the scribe's entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Through Jesus' sacrifice, all who acknowledge and live through the understanding of love of God and love of neighbor will have a place at the heavenly banquet. To say that you love God and love your neighbor is pretty easy. Without even thinking about it, a person can say, oh, sure, I love God, of course I do. And oh yes, I love my fellow humans. Love, love, love everywhere. But what does that actually look like? What does the actual action of loving God and loving neighbor look like? To truly love God is to love your neighbor. To truly love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we want nothing but good things for all people. 
To truly love God and neighbor, we must lead just lives. We must work to help those in need. It is about showing up for one another. It is about embracing each other and celebrating them for what they bring to the table, not for keeping them outside on the fringe of society. Just as though faith without good works is dead, our sacrifices and offerings mean nothing without loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And loving our neighbors less than we love ourselves is pointless. If we do not love God and love neighbor, then nothing we do outside of that will measure up in the eyes of God. No amount of good, no amount of giving, if it is not done with the full love of God and the love of neighbor, we might as well give up hope of ever satisfying God. The fact that Jesus and the scribe agreed in this is very rare in the canon as we know it. Not only does this story remind us that we must love God and love neighbor, it reminds us that we must open ourselves up to those that differ from us. We must be more willing to open up to faithful people within our specific religious traditions, but also to those who are not. Through Jesus Christ, we can admit that the people we encounter in our lives are close to the kingdom of God as well. We must remember that our fellow companions in faith have religious commitments that allow them to share in God's love of the world. In 2018, those of us with faith in Jesus Christ are equipped to also respect the difference in faith traditions that bring others into the world. That others, excuse me, others bring into the world. With this respect, we are able to truly love our neighbor. And we are able to carry out our mission of human dignity, which perfectly represents a love of God and for Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is the supreme example of one in whose heart the law of God has been written. Rather than teaching it as the Pharisees did, he lived it. He lived it out through a life of commitment to God, which is love. And in service, also love to his neighbors. Through this example, the world will know that we are Christians through our commitment to God and to service of God's creation. They will know we are Christians by our love. As the story ends, as it says after that, no one asked Jesus any more questions. They stopped the bombardment of testing. It is as though they finally realized what he was saying. For some, it solidified him as the Messiah. And for others, it solidified him as a threat against the status quo. Not every story that, it, that has found its way into one of the synoptic gospels finds its way into the other two. This does not mean that the individual stories are not important or hold significant meaning. But with most information, the more places you have to back it up, the truer it is. 
The lesson of love of God and love of neighbor is so significant as children of God that we need to hear it over and over and over again. It comes to us from three different sources, written at three different times. If nothing else is ever remembered about the teaching of Jesus Christ and the work of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives, this is the lesson to take away. This is the lesson that helps us move through our day and helps us move from this life into the next. Amen.